Welcome to Manager Tools. Don't get rid of your performance reviews. Part four, here we go. This cast answers these questions. Should my organization get rid of its performance review system? How can I deliver better performance reviews? What can I do to help subordinate managers deliver effective performance reviews? Will you want answers to these and more? Keep listening. Folks, if you're a part of the Manager Tools community, surely you've heard about Roadmap. It's our way, in an app, to help you roll out the tools of the Trinity. One-on-ones, feedback, coaching, and delegation. Come to www.manager-tools.com and check out Roadmap. Okay, Mark, we're dedicated folks here because we are sitting here uh, just prior going to the Army-Navy game to watch Army uh, beat Navy. Sorry, Navy guys. But we've got to do it, so... Here we go. And we are sitting in a hotel room in Philadelphia. Um, our head planning heads are about six inches apart from each other. Uh, pretty, pretty I, I could have done without you saying that. Pretty pretty uncomfortable here, but we'll, we'll continue on with this, this subject. So I think this is a rare instance. I think people keep track of how many times we've recorded when we've been together. And this is a rare instance we're together. Maybe less than five, I think. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's, let's don't do this again. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, okay. So... We've, we've talked a lot about performance reviews and some of the, the, the problems associated with performance reviews, the challenges, um, and we're, we're now into, like, I think, solution number three of what to do about performance reviews. Yeah, and even though it's the last solution, um, it, it makes no sense for you to keep your performance reviews if you're not going to do this one uh, and to do it well, and that is HR, human resources, using the data in the performance review system for effective talent management. Again, performance reviews are not feedback mechanisms. We've turned them into that historically, but that's not what they're intended for. The purpose of Mike writing a review on me, if he's my boss, is to share that with his boss so his boss and other bosses can make decisions about where to put talent in the organization based on my performance, my strengths, my weaknesses. So. In addition to HR helping individual managers deliver, right, and also the uh, annual reviews feed the succession planning system, HR has to use the raw material from performance reviews to supply that system. The best companies in the world, the reason they're the best companies in the world, in part, is because they're better at putting the right people into the right role. Um, take it from an engineer, Horseman's First Law, it's all about people. If your company, every time you lose somebody, or for that matter, even if you promote somebody and there's an opening, if it becomes hard, if it's a difficult conversation to figure out who's going to replace that person, you're always going to be a disadvantage. I mean, everybody talks about how busy they are. All the time, people are talking about how busy they are. What does it mean then? if a role is left open for a couple of weeks. Let's just say two weeks while we're figuring things out. And then let's say, let's be generous and say we put the new person in the role and there's two more weeks of very low productivity, okay? So so we're basically saying three to four weeks of, of substandard productivity. That's virtually a month. That's 8% of the year. Now, you, can't, you certainly can't tolerate that in that many positions a year, because if every role is 8% less productive all year, the company is going to be 8% less productive. And so this, when I hear stories of, well, they don't know who's going to be my boss, how, how can they not know? 
some, whenever there is a long-term opening uh, of a couple of weeks or more, because the reason I mentioned everybody being busy, if, if that person in that role had been busy, that would have been two weeks worth of productivity. If there's nobody in the role, there's nobody doing it. There's zero productivity coming out of that role. And, and if that's the case, then every single time we make a change, we're essentially taking a hit to productivity. Who's supposed to be saying who's next for that job, right? Um, well, who's supposed to be doing is, is the, the leadership of that job, the boss, the boss of the job or the boss's boss of that job, and HR providing them the information. Great companies are great in part because they always have someone identified, someone specific, and someone ready to step into that next role. It's not luck. It's not a scramble behind the scenes. Basically, it's known. A lot of times people say to me, you know, I'm really surprised you talked about, um, you know, identifying a number two. I couldn't do that to an to my people, because I'm afraid the other people wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't tolerate it if they found out they weren't the num my number two. Well, ultimately, you or somebody else is going to have to make a choice. If you decide that it's not you, that you're not going to name a number two for when you go on vacation, so therefore your family's going to suffer because you can't be gone at all, and you have to dial in because you haven't identified a number two. But in addition to that, the organization's going to suffer because, yeah, your boss will name who gets promoted into your role or who moves into your role. Um, but essentially, what that will mean is your boss will be making a decision and they'll be delayed unless you privately tell your boss who your number two is. But if you were somebody's number two, wouldn't you want to know it? Oh, and if you weren't number two, wouldn't you want to know that as well? Yeah. I mean, Particularly, wouldn't you want to know like what you need to do to become number yeah. two? Oh, I, mean, that's, yeah. I, I think I, I think that excuse is, yeah. is a cop out because if yeah. I tell them they're not the number two, yeah, then they're, then they're going to ask me, well, why not? And now I have to have a conversation about performance, and I don't yeah. like having it, it, conversations exactly. about performance. This is the exact same thing as the horseman middleman test, right? If you wouldn't want it done to you, don't do it to your directs. Mm. If you were not the number two of your boss, and he or she had a choice to tell you, what would you want? Everybody I know would say, oh, please just tell me. But then when you talk to them about talking to their folks, they're like, oh, no, they couldn't handle it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're, they're so much smaller than I am. Right. Just the logical impossibility of this. Well, no, it's emotionally possible. It's easier for me. I want to know what I want to know, but I don't want to have any difficult conversations. There you go. Now, that said, I know there are an awful lot of management tools managers out there who have done the hard work of building the trust relationship, uh, developing solid relationships with their people, and don't have any problems saying, hey, she's my number two, and you're not. And here are the things you need to do. And, and by the way, in many organizations, we've done a podcast about this, there's a pretty standard concept for this called ready now and ready next. Effective HR professionals, even business partners at the lowest level, and I hate that phrase, HR business partner, you know, they have a chart with all the managers on it. And next to or below every manager's name is somebody who's ready now, meaning that if their boss goes to a special project or leaves the company or takes a promotion or whatever, they're ready to step in right away. And also somebody who will be ready next, meaning there's still some more development to be done, maybe in this role, maybe in some other role. But in order to know who's ready now and ready next, all of us managers have to do a good job of writing performance reviews and providing it to the system. And then HR has to use it to compare people and have an ongoing trust-based 
conversation with the managers in the organization, with the directors and with the VPs and so on, to make sure we're going to make the right choices so that we're always ready. Now, you don't want an opening to occur, but openings occur all the time. And I'll tell you the worst ones, the ones that are at the tail end of a domino thing, where there's a known role that's going to happen, a known opening that's going to happen. So we figure out who that person's going to be maybe a week or two before, which is too late, but anyway. And then because of some other situations, suddenly there's an opening two or three moves later, and nobody's ready for that one. And that's because it's likely, I hate to say this, because I'm trying very hard not to be an enemy of HR, but HR is not doing their job. Somebody's not saying, here's the person who's ready. You don't just email somebody and say, hey, we're thinking about, you may have to leave. Who's your number two? And then HR goes back and reads their previous performance reviews to see whether or not a match, and they don't have any reasonable way to have a, a consultation with the management organization. And, and, and speaking of which, um, uh, we like to say, as we like to say often on the show, there's a cast for that. We have four chapters in our series about how to do succession planning on a small organizational level. We also have a cast specifically for managers about quick and dirty succession planning, basically, involved, which involves naming a number two. So this guidance is already out there so that you can be ready. You can do your part if you're a line manager. But of course, this part of this cast is about how, if managers have done their job, what HR is supposed to do in order to use that data, use the performance review as succession planning um, raw material. HR has to know how to review the performance reviews of managers they support. In order to do that, you can't just read the reviews of the person who's the number two. You have to read that manager's reviews of his or her other people, okay? You have to know what phrases he uses or doesn't use. I'm amazed at how uh, HR or organizations have tons of metrics on, on performance reviews, but HR at some levels don't have what the mean and median is and don't know how people compare to it and don't know that in many cases, most of those quantitative reviews are overcooked, overbaked, essentially hyperinflated to the point where they're not useful. And you say, oh, look, this person got a top rating. Yeah, so did six of the other eight people that worked for this manager. That means nothing. I wouldn't want to be a manager, to write reviews, have my HR professional go into a meeting and say, oh, yeah, well, the person Horseman's chosen has top ranks in these things. And the VP goes, well, that's true of like 60% of my people. And now the HR person has basically said, yeah, I don't know how to sell this person in order to get them to take the opportunity to, to get the promotion because Horseman says they're ready now, but I'm not good at pitching somebody based on using the data in the performance review system. Yeah, can you imagine? I mean, the, a lot of HR professionals, if, they, if you charted the, where people fit on a graph, right? Think of a bell curve mm -hmm. on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, right? And instead of the bell curve being stretched all the way across the, the page, it's like there's a yeah. quarter inch, like everybody's like right there in that quarter inch. And yeah. then somehow they got to take that and magnify it and try yeah. to distinguish between, you know, point zero zero one yeah. inches. Of and, and if you distance. overlay uh, on top of that bell curve, um, what amounts to a score of say one to five, your histogram looks like a big gigantic column on five, right? right? Or, right. or half on four and half on five. It's not a bell curve. Um, and let's not even get started about the whole bell curve thing. And, and then we have another problem. It's been my experience and folks, you can write in and tell me I'm wrong that 
there are all kinds of systems out there and they change way too frequently. If you're a manager, guys, and you hear that the system you're having to create to provide input into has changed, that's bad because there's such a focus on the form, okay? And, and then your director tells you she didn't get any useful information and you're having to go into what amounts to a steel cage deathmatch meeting, you, I mean, it's an enormous waste of money and time. That Just the idea, we've already talked about this, about HR training managers, but clearly, once the training's occurred, you and your director have to talk and your HR business partner to find out, okay, how is this going to work? How are we going to have conversations about this? Because in a steel cage deathmatch meeting, in a succession planning meeting, in a talent planning meeting, it's the people who were well prepared in advance and those people who have already talked to others, pre-wired others in the meeting. And that means being able to know on a performance review why you wrote what you wrote and being able to convince somebody else that that was the highest praise you can give somebody. And since everybody writes differently, people have to get used to how you write. And that means having conversations with a lot of different people. And that includes helping your HR person understand how you've written reviews before as well. And look, there are plenty of effective HR business partners out there. They sit down. If, if they're good, they sit down as a group and talk about succession planning within the division, within your division. They compare notes on managers. They compare notes on promotions. They compare notes on potential departures. You know, is this person potentially, you know, considering a move because they didn't get as big a raise as they thought they would last year? How, how much complaining has that person done? How is the culture of the organization changing? And is this person's personality and tendencies more in line with the future culture or are they unlikely to change when the culture changes? They look at performance improvements. They look at declines in performance. Uh, they certainly look at ready now or ready next if your organization uses that. And, and then really good ones, really good HR professionals read back to their supported managers as much as they can out of the succession planning discussions, which they've been privy to. So now you're talking to HR business partner and they're saying, hey, here's what I'm seeing, here's what I'm hearing, and so on, which should help you as a manager, if you're a line manager, know how to do your next set of performance reviews. And look, if this sounds like it's complicated, it's really not. It's, it's a discipline, it's managers doing their jobs, and that means knowing their people, having the credibility to write a review at the end of the year that will be accurate and heard and, and accepted, and having a good enough relationship with your HR business partner that you know how to write a review, and the HR business partner does their job and, and has a frank uh, but respectful discussion with everybody about succession planning, ready now, and ready next. And by the way, the first year, if you've never done this before, uh, the first year you do it, and you're going to push, and HR is going to say, well, we really don't do that, or we don't need that conversation, or whatever, it's going to be a little difficult. Because you don't have time, and they don't have time, um, and you don't know if you're doing it right, and and maybe it's a little bit more candid than a lot of people say, want things to be, even though they say they want candor and openness. But in year two, when you start doing things this way, and again, hopefully your organization won't change their performance review system uh, in year two, you will be paid back. In year two, you'll be paid back with more time to do more than you spent in the whole succession planning and performance review processes. Literally, that, that you, you get a benefit back in year two. And it's not hard to do this stuff. 
And I think probably there are, there are less than 20 podcasts about this. So in 10 hours of listening to all of our work in succession planning and performance reviews, you can know what you need to know. To, to I hate to say it, but if you're a line manager, to dominate the other line managers around you in terms of winning the conversation at the end of the year. Not because you want your people to win, but that you want your people to be treated fairly relative to the system. But you know, unfortunately, in many cases, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and that's not the right way for the organization to be managing its talent. And if you don't have a good relationship with your HR business partner, don't leave it to your HR business partner. Decide to have that conversation now so that at the end of the year, when those relationships matter, you'll not only have the data, you'll have the ability to talk to that person and make a difference in, in the lives and careers of your direct. Yeah. But we all aspire. Hopefully, that's what all managers aspire yeah. to make a difference for, for yeah. our people, right? Yeah. It's, you know, it's just like so many other things that we say at Manager Tools. It's boring, right? It's just doing the stuff you're supposed to do. And yeah, the system's broken in a lot of ways. And yeah, people aren't doing what they're supposed to do. You know how you solve that problem? You stand up and you do what you're supposed to do. You do it the right way, even though maybe you don't get the benefits right away. But you set an example for others. And when they come to you and say, hey, you don't seem all that upset. You don't seem all that stressed out. No, I really don't. I've been keeping track of my people over the course of the year with my one-on-ones. I'm going through my one-on-ones now. I've got this way of looking at email to make sure that I'm covering everything good and bad that my directs uh, handle over the course of the year. I'm drafting something, you know, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, I'm socializing it with my boss. My directs know well in advance how they're doing. They've been told repeatedly. They've, seen, they've had quarterly discussions with me and so on. And now, because you're confident about that, now you can start saying, okay, and now I'm going to get my HR business partner involved. And we're going to make a difference in the lives of my people. And we're going to help the organization in the long run, just in, in, a, in my small way, in my little corner of the organizational universe here, Things are going to be a little bit better, a little bit smoother. And, and maybe I don't get any credit for it. Maybe my boss changes and I get a new boss and things aren't good. But do we really want to do things just because of what we get? Or do we want to do things because they're the right thing to do? So, taking it back up to 30,000 feet real quick, summarizing. Folks, don't listen to people when they say you should get rid of your performance review system. Don't, okay? It's not the system. It's the behavior within the system that's the problem. And don't change the system because that would just probably be putting lipstick on a pig. Make your review system be what it's supposed to be for, for you as a line manager, for you as an HR business partner as well. It's an aggregation of feedback delivered by trusted managers. And more importantly, really, it's a source of raw material for the company's future talent planning. And that's, of course, succession planning. It's not popular to do this not what everybody else does, because what everybody else does clearly is popular, but as Wolfram Brimley would say, it's the right thing to do. There you go. All right. Thank you, my friend. You bet, partner. All right. We'll see you.